We are in this study, and back, in fact, I went, um, I had to ask Google this morning uh, when Easter was, I couldn't remember, and, uh, and she didn't hold out on me. So uh, Easter is um, uh, uh, the 17th of April, okay, in case you wondered, so you can put your Easter bonnet on order, you've still got time to get it. Um, uh, and um, so we've got four more sessions in this um, Ephesians 6 study, which works perfect. We'll finish on Palm Sunday. And uh, so, anyway, um, unless something, as a friend of mine in Tennessee says, unless something bends or breaks, we'll, we'll have four more sessions of this uh, ending on Palm Sunday. We'll start in something else after Easter. By the way, I had no trouble with traffic coming from South Oklahoma City this morning. Uh, Rhonda, did we see a car on the way here? Uh, we saw maybe one or two and saw, okay, somebody is going to get after me about this. But we nonetheless saw a traffic cop taking pictures. And I'm thinking, leave us alone on Sundays, guys. Come on. We're just headed to church. Who else would be out that time of day? But okay, I digress. Um, anyway, uh, if... if you look at your watch and you think, what's he talking about? Uh, daylight savings started last night. So, okay, you might want to check your watch and do the thing in your car. Do you know how to do the thing in your car? Yeah, uh, yep, I found the button this morning on the way up here. And, you know, it just takes two pushes and I can get that done. I kind of figured that out. Uh, Rhonda changed all the clocks last night, including... Pete Rushing's um, grandfather clock got changed last night so that when I was awake this morning, I knew exactly what time it was when it was chiming in the middle of the night. I kind of like that. It's kind of comforting to me. And uh, anyway, it's nearly spring, by the way. Won't next Sunday be spring or the day after maybe? Is it the 20th or 21st? So... It's great to see you here. Let's kind of do a little more background on our study. Paul has been employing, as we've been talking about it here over these weeks, the metaphor of battle, and he makes it a spiritual battle, and it comes up in the image of a Roman soldier in the passage of Scripture that we're studying, and I hope you've had time to look over the uh, armor. I want to look at the shoes today. I've neglected to look at the feet, and I want to do that today. Um, do what? Armor's gone. Well, it's somewhere else then. We'll have to find it. Michael, they move it around a little bit, so we'll have to find out where it went. Because uh, it was right out here, I think, for a while. Do uh, you know where it is, Laura? Not exactly yet, but they're doing it for the kids. They're, they're doing a So they got it down search. there. They have okay. to find certain things. So we can... may have to go down to the kids' area to, to look at it. That's why they're moving it. We're going to talk about the boots, the shoes today. Um, uh, and um, uh, so if you can find it, be a good day to look. He is talking to us about the fact that, and this is a fact, that there's an invisible world where lots of things are going on that are beyond our comprehension. So what are we to do? Paul offers advice that is at the same time biblical and practical. Uh, and he uses this metaphor of battle and equip the equipment of a soldier to whom we think he might have been changed, chained at that time. In other words, he didn't have to look to, he didn't, Laura, he didn't have to go look for the, for the armor. It was right there in front of him. Uh, 
Um, but he uses that to help us prepare for the spiritual fight we all face. Now, I thought while, and by the way, we need to add to our prayer concerns list, certainly uh, the war in the Ukraine. Uh, but as I've been thinking about this and, and, uh, and praying about it, um, I, I've been quoting from, from uh, a 1944 copy of the Screw Tape Letters uh, every week. And uh, it's interesting to me that Uncle Screwtape writes to Nephew Wormwood about war. Would you be surprised about that with a book that was written in 1943 in England? Okay. So here's what he says. Of course, uh, let's see, I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, Give me without fail in your next letter a full account of the patient's reactions to the war so that we can consider whether you're likely to do more good by making him an extreme patriot or an ardent pacifist. There are all kinds of possibilities. In the meantime, I must warn you not to hope too much from a war. Now remember, this is a demon talking to another demon. Of course, war is entertaining. The immediate fear and suffering of the humans is a legitimate and pleasing refreshment for our myriads of toiling workers. But what permanent good does it do to us unless we make, good, make use of it for bringing souls to our Father below? When I see the temporal suffering of humans who finally escape us, I feel as if I've been allowed to taste the first course of a rich banquet and then denied the rest. It's worse than not to have tasted it at all. The enemy... Who's the enemy? God, the Father. The enemy, true to his barbarous methods of warfare, allows us to see the short misery of his favorites, only to tantalize and torment us, to mock the incessant hunger which, during this present phase of the great conflict, his blockade is admittedly imposing. Therefore, um, let us therefore think rather how to use rather than how to enjoy this European war. For it is certain tendencies inherent in it which are in themselves by no means in our favor. We may hope for a good deal of cruelty and unchastity. But if we're not careful, we shall see thousands turning in this tribulation to the enemy. Did you catch that? While tens of thousands who do not go so far as that will nevertheless have their attention diverted from themselves to values and causes which they believe to be higher than the self. I know that the enemy disapproves of many of these causes, but that is where he is so unfair. He often makes prizes of humans who have given their lives for causes he thinks bad on the monstrously, on the monstrously sophistical ground that the humans thought them good and were following the best they knew. He ends this chapter, this letter, with this. Of course... At the precise moment of terror, so he's talking about what happens during war, bereavement or physical pain, you may catch your man when his reason is temporarily suspended. But even then, if he applies to enemy headquarters, I've found that the post is nearly always defended. Wow. Yes, sir, it's always defended. Brad? Question, sir. Do you think that God, his creator, is really his enemy, or who is really Christ the Messiah? That's a good little philosophical question, Brad. Uh, the line of the tribe of Judah. Uh, 
considering that the, the two are the two and the three are one, yeah. the answer is probably yes. Yeah, so uh, they're both involved in this war. Well, so let's let's talk about this a little bit. Uh, our kind of key verse for this study has been put on the full armor of God, so that you may be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now. Today, we're going to talk about the gospel being the foundation that we stand on against the attacks of the devil because Paul is going to use the gospel as this idea of the boots of the gospel. So, um, now, let's, um, uh, let me give you just kind of an opening question, then I'm going to have Steve Blair read uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 15, just a minute. <clears throat> what is it, is it in your world that deprives you of peace, and how do you cope? What is it that has a tendency to deprive you of peace? Is it relational strife? Maybe work issue? Money issues? Uh, is it news and politics? I talked to a guy yesterday who said, he has watched hours of news coverage in the last two weeks that he doesn't normally watch. And maybe that's true. I mean, we've watched this in horror, but we watch it nonetheless. Um, so what is it? And what is it that causes you or what is it that you use as a coping mechanism? Is it, uh, well, I, I go to the mall or um, then buy something that makes me feel a little better? Is it... Um, um, I, some other kind of escapism or, or some experience or just avoiding it or, heaven forbid, jumping into some um, destructive behavior that you have a tendency to default back to when you're under pressure. Now, one of the most common attacks of the enemy is to stir up conflict. You know? Yeah. Even in churches, Right? To stir up conflict. Um, I've been dealing with some conflict in my little world in the last couple of weeks, and, and I've been incessantly, it seems like, on the phone. Um, uh, when we are upset or worried or angry, we tend to make poor decisions, and sometimes we lash out at other people, even people we love, and in other ways, we might cause harm to our Christian testimony. When that goes on, we're no longer standing on solid ground. So, today we're going to talk about peace. That elusive thing, it might seem, comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's the foundation upon which we stand. Uh, Steve, would you read Ephesians 6? And we'll start at 10 and go down through 15. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes 
in the gospel of peace. Steve, if I'm if I heard it right, you're probably reading from the NIV. Is that correct? All right. Let's recap a little bit. He's reminded us over these last four weeks, this is the fourth week, that uh, we're in a spiritual battle against a spiritual foe. Uh, he's reminded us that we can't stand on our own, but that God himself provides the power to fight the battle and to take a stand. Over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. This week, we're going to look at the gospel of peace, which Paul says is our boots on the ground. Let me give you a little background of this. This is, a, this is Bill Search's really good research. The Roman soldier that he was chained to, likely, was likely not wearing flip-flops. He probably were, wasn't wearing hush puppies. It may not have been wearing Nikes, okay? Probably was wearing those boots that, Laura, we can't find, but we're going to find somewhere, all right? Um, so the idea here is most of the world at that time lacked proper footwear. Now, you've got to catch this because one of the things that made that soldier more equipped for battle than anybody that he would face is that the Romans made that a big deal. Um, uh, a lot of their enemies would be uh, barefoot or just with some kind of simple sandal. But the footwear that was worn by the Roman soldier was significant and imposing. The pair of boots that they wore were called caligae in Latin. Um, comprised of, uh, they had leather straps, a thick leather sole, and on the bottom of each of them, um, it was finished with dozens of iron hobnails. Now, when I think of that, Rhonda, I think about your, uh, what are those things that you put on your boots when it's really icy? Yak trackers, when you work for the Postal Service, they all, all your, your postal people have yak trackers, those things that you put on the bottom of your shoes or your boots that just kind of dig into the ice. Well, think about that at least to a certain degree. Think about, think about metal cleats of some kind on the bottom of these. Um, when, the Roman, when a Roman legion marched down a cobblestone street, can you imagine the sound as not only their heavy footfalls marched, but you would hear these iron cleats hit the ground at the same time. It had to be uh, kind of uh, awe-inspiring, I think. Now, um, so... When a soldier was gearing up to face an enemy, he put on his armor. That gave him confidence. We've talked about the last couple of weeks. And he put on his boots, which gave him an advantage uh, like no other kind of soldier. And it gave him traction. It was hard to shove a Roman soldier off his mark in hand-to-hand -hand battle because he was dug in with these cleated sandals. Now, a lot of people think that when Paul makes the good news, uh, Steve, remind me, does he use gospel there? Is he use good news in the NIV? Gospel of peace. Okay. So the word gospel literally means the good news. Um, a lot of people think that um, 
he was borrowing from, and let me hand out a few verses for us to read. Ellie, can you go to Isaiah 52, 7? A lot of, a lot of people think when he's referencing this, he's referencing Isaiah 52. Um, and, and if somebody will go to John 14, 27, we'll get there in just a minute. Laura, that'd be great. Uh, Romans 10, 13 through 15. He'll grab that one. John, thank you. Uh, Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. Thanks, Dan. And then Colossians 3, 15 through 17. Thanks. Thank you, Mark. That'd be great. Okay. Uh, Romans 3. What did I say? Colossians 3, 15 through 17. Okay. So read, read from Isaiah 52. How delightful on the mountains are the feet of the one who brings good news. Who announces peace, who brings good news of happiness. Who announces salvation. And says to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. So the context of that in Isaiah was uh, at that time, there was an army just waiting to attack outside the city of Jerusalem. Uh, they were under siege to a certain degree. And so if you catch that, the enemy may soon be at the gate, but they hear something off in the distance. They hear not the pitter-patter of little feet, but the running of a runner He's by himself, and he's almost dancing as he ran, okay? As he near the gate, nears the gate of the city, he yells out what? The enemy has been defeated. They're not coming. You can open the gates and go back to regular life. What the Bible says here in Isaiah 52, and it's hearkening to what Paul is talking about, and he borrows from it here in Ephesians 6, is... Don't you know when that runner, that uh, emissary, got into the city, they high-fived him and patted him on the back, and he was the most popular guy in town, right down to the fact that somebody looked at him and said, look how pretty this guy's feet are that ran up here to tell us that. Okay? That's kind of the idea. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel good news. That's kind of the idea here. So, um, the good news of peace that Steve read about a minute ago is not just any old good news. Janie, I'm going to remind I'm gonna, you and I have got something going on that we get to borrow from, from 20 years ago. This was the best good news. Remember that phrase that we used in EE? This was not just good news. It's the gospel is the best good news. We might get excited about um, an unexpected tax return or um, a, a surprise gift card in the mail or Rhonda and I were talking about earlier this morning. If her daddy were alive today, he would have two new great-great-grandchildren if her mother were still alive just in the last couple of weeks. And it's been kind of a big deal in the family to to this little girl in Texas and this little boy in Missouri. Uh, that, that's great good news. But what you've got to hear me say, and if you don't catch what I'm, what I'm getting at, I guarantee you Janie Stewart will help you get it. This is the best good news. The best good news ever. Now, so with that in mind, let's look at four things, four truths as they relate to the good news, the best good news of peace, okay? I'll, I'll take you to your outline now. You ready? The good news of peace 
is a peace that is defined by God. Defined by God. Laura, read uh, this is Jesus teaching in the upper room in John 14, verse 27. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. <clears throat> Context. Uh, Laura, since you're there, read 13.2. It's the same night, same setting. It just gives us a little more setting. John 13.2. You got it? Mm-hmm. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Is that the right verse? Yes. Same night, same scenario. John gives us context in, in the first few verses of, of John 13. They're in the upper room getting ready to celebrate uh, the Passover, what everybody in there but him sees as the Passover, what he sees it as, as the Last Supper, right? The initiation of Holy Communion. And um, uh, interesting, John tells us there's a spiritual battle that they're right in the middle of. Uh, Judas is right in the middle of it. And that's the scenario here. And it's in that context that somewhere during the evening, he has already washed their feet. He's already talked to them about where he's going. And right in the middle of that, in verse 27 of chapter 14, he says, but I'm leaving you peace. Not the kind of peace that the world gives. Let's talk about that for a minute. Um, world often does offer peace. Um, it, I think it's interesting that Veterans Day in this country is celebrated on uh, November 11th, 11-11. And it really, it goes back to um, when the World War I armistice took place. It was uh, on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. And it was kind of, that was kind of a big deal to help us rem- remember. The war to end all wars, right? That's what they thought. At, on the 11th day, at the 11th hour in the 11th month. And yet, because there was yet another war to end all wars in the 30s and 40s, and there have been others since, and you could argue we're, there's a great war going on now. Isn't it interesting that they, at some point they had to say, oh, we can't just celebrate the end of World War I. And so they began to celebrate uh, the veterans who have served in all wars. And, uh, and you and I celebrate that. So isn't it interesting that that would even be our illustration here, that peace on this earth is temporary. When, um, when things are over in Ukraine, did you hear the hopeful statement I just made? Yeah. I think occasionally we need to have a hopeful statement. When this thing is passed, here's a non-hopeful statement, there will be another conflict somewhere. Later, you know, it just because worldly peace is just kind of temporary, but that's not what Jesus offers us. He says he's going to provide you with lasting peace. Now, I think this is timely for our day. The peace that God offers, his kind of peace is, I'm going to use a heavy word, you ready? Eternal it is not governed by the things that go on around you. Okay, number two, 
The good news of the peace, good news of peace, is not for an elite, but it's for everybody. Okay? Not for some elite group. It's for everyone. Uh, who's got Romans 10, 13, John 13 through 15? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Interesting. Once again, we got to get this idea, don't we? How beautiful are the feet of him. Uh, John Stott a great scholar and British pastor, in his commentary on what John just read, uh, says this, to call on him is more precisely to call on the name of the Lord. That is to appeal to him to save us in accordance with who he is and what he has done. Everyone who thus calls on him, we are assured he will be saved. It's interesting, as Rhonda and I were talking about this morning, as, as uh, Paul quotes here from uh, Joel 2, uh, there are some verses that precede this one. Um, uh, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There are some verses that precede this that get some who are uh, kind of uh, prone to get off on tangents, um, get them off talking about what the blood moon is and when that's going to happen. And it isn't interesting. You can get lost in that and miss verse 32 in, in Joel 2 that says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Paul brings it back up here um, in, in, in Romans. So, if you and I are tempted to give up on anybody in your life, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a coworker that is just, in your words, irredeemable. Maybe it's a family member. They're just hopeless. Janet, I see you nodding your head. We've all probably said that. Yeah, just hopeless. What does the Bible say about that? Everyone, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Pretty great hope for me, and it's a great source of peace. Okay, let's go to number three. The good news of peace is rooted in the cross of Christ. In the cross of Christ. Let's, Dan, I think I asked you to go to Ephesians 2 and read 14 through 18. Did I give that one to somebody else? Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law, which is with his commands and regulations, the purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. In one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put death, put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace you who are far away and peace to those who were near. Through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. He's talking initially about the fact that Christ came 
to save Gentile and Jew alike. So he talks about two peoples here. He uses the word peace four times in that four, five verses. Um, sounds like it's, it's an important issue to him here. The idea, uh, verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Uh, it is as if, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow a phrase here from English language that would have no meaning, honestly, without the cross of Christ. It is as if Jesus crossed out the barrier. You ever use the term? Cross it out. He crossed out the barrier between you and God and between you and me. Between God and people and between people and other people. He did all of that on the cross. Could there be a greater peace? Um, so it's the idea here um, that if you know Jesus, you know peace. The, it's the idea conveyed is not that he gives you peace. Follow me here. But he is peace. Rhonda and I were with a group of 35 teenagers and another 10 adults in Washington, D.C. a thousand years ago. And they sang this scripture. Jesus is our peace. He broke down the barriers related to our sin and gave us this peace. Well, let's go to the fourth one so we get, get this all in. The good news, okay, all this, the good news of peace, my boots should overflow in our lives. Okay. We've said the good news of peace is a peace defined by God only. The good news of peace is for an, not for an elite group, but for everyone. The good news of peace is rooted in the cross of Christ. And now the good news of peace should overflow in our lives. And the passage here, who's got Colossians 3, 15, 16, 17? Mark? But the peace of Christ to which you were indeed called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. But the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wow. Now, this is that passage where he invokes the idea that we ought to talk to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, if I had another 30 minutes, I would do a complete lecture on what those three words are, that psalms are from scriptures and hymns are also from scriptures and spiritual songs are kind of scripturally based, but they may not be the scriptures. And we sing all three of those here in our church. And you're to encourage one another with those. Um, that kind of the idea of, of, of a balance there. But the basic message of this passage is we need each other. Uh, we ought to overflow in peace uh, to one another. Um, a, a, an old um, uh, 
Baldwin factory Cincinnati piano tuner, master tuner that I met, Vaughn Moxley. I met him 30 years ago, and he was his... He was as eccentric as you can imagine, a guy that spent his life in a factory tuning pianos would be, would tell me when I walked into a, into a uh, uh, warehouse with a thousand pianos, how do you know all these pianos are in tune? Because every one of them is tuned to A440, every one of them. And therefore, they're naturally in tune with each other. If you and I are in tune with Jesus, I don't have to worry about being in tune with you. I just don't. It's the idea that uh, this peace that he gives should overflow uh, into a peace with one another. It inevitably overflows our life. So I will ask you, as we do this final application in the last couple of minutes here, what is overflowing from your life? Ellie, I love that look. <laughs> he looked at the ceiling like, okay. If, am I overflowing with honey or vinegar? I mean, that's kind of the idea, right? They both look a little like if you if you had if I had on the table a, a jar of honey and the same kind of jar of vinegar, they'd probably look about alike. But you're going to get a whole different thing if you uh, from each of them if you knock them over, right? What's overflowing from your life? So here's what I want you to do. And maybe today. In the next few minutes, maybe as you're preparing for church, I want you to take a little peace inventory. On a scale of 1 to 10, what is your current peace profile? What, what's your level of peace? All right? Remember that Jesus is your peace, but if you haven't accepted that or appropriated that in your life, right now it may not be a, a full 10. I'm going to tell you because of some things going on in my life right now and around me, mine is about a five. Okay? So hold me, to the, hold me accountable on this because Jesus is my peace, not the stuff around me. Okay, second. Which one of these four truths that we unpacked today spoke to you? That the good news of peace is defined by Jesus himself. He gives us peace, not the stuff around us. Uh, that the good news of peace is not for just an elite few, but for everybody. Or the fact that it's all rooted, it has no meaning apart from the cross of Christ. Or that you and I should overflow with it, with the peace of Christ. Okay, I'm going to tell you, don't go into battle without putting your shoes on. You're going to fail. Gary? Uh, my wife and I were involved at Manitou. It's uh, incarcerated teenage boys. Wow. And when those guys would ask me what I had, I could have given them a religious answer or a church answer, but I said, I have peace. And that opened the door to discuss what peace was to them and what they had and didn't have. So the answer was peace, and that's opened the door to talk to them about Jesus. Otherwise... They just slammed the door shut. Great answer. Have you seen the play on words? No Jesus, K-N-O-W, no peace. No Jesus, N-O, no peace. It is so true. I'll see you next week. We'll, guess where we'll be in Ephesians 6. All right? Thanks for being here.